you would think you'd have enough trouble if you happened to be uh, an individual who was the gatekeeper to determine whether or not the king would live or die. He's called the cupbearer. You would think it'd be enough problem to be exiled some, some 800 miles away from uh, where you felt comfortable, Jerusalem as a Jew. But of course, being in the Persian Empire, this man that we know as, uh, as uh, Nebuchadnezzar, what an awesome individual he was as a king, but he was not a righteous person necessarily. Nehemiah was an individual that was considered to be a cupbearer. He had a very strategic position. He did not earn the position. If you study history, he should not have been there, but he was an individual that was ordained by God to be placed as the cupbearer for the king. He had no idea when that opportunity came along. I don't know that you consider it an opportunity. If someone wants to poison the king, they put it in the drink or put it in the food, but it's got to pass your test first. If you die, the king, guess what, doesn't eat it because you died in his place to keep him from being poisoned. That was one of the more comfortable, positive ways for people to die in that day. So you would think that already he's got enough hassle being in exile, already in a very stressful job, and all of a sudden God in fact taps him for future opportunities. He did not know that where he was at would lead to a major miracle for the kingdom of God. There are a lot of times in our path in which we take that things happen that take us on a side road. A lot of things happen that kind of clog the wheel up. A lot of things happen that throw us in reverse and create angst in our life. And we always wonder, and the first thought of the enemy is to always say, why God, why me? Uh, why, uh, you know, I've been faithful, uh, share, share all the resume of how wonderful it's been. And then here, or God, you knew my, my plan was here. And then it just did not work out that way. Well, I can tell you that as a follower of Jesus Christ, there is always a reason that God has that you may or may not ever know why you are, get this now, why you are exactly where you are right now. Think about it. No accident for where you are, where you are right now. It's because God has a plan God has a trust in you. God has a trust in our church. When this church started 28 and a half years ago, it, it started out of ashes, out of difficulty, out of challenge. And for the last 28 and a half years, God is blessed and God has given us favor in the community. And we've stuck by our mission statement to know Christ and make him known. And all the ministries and everything that we do with 55 people leaving tomorrow for Curacao, who's going on a missions trip. That's no accident. It is part of the DNA. It fits the model to know Christ and make him known. Nehemiah, of course, exiled Jew living 800 miles from Jerusalem. When he made the journey, made the journey back to Jerusalem, that journey took at least two months to go from where he's exiled there in Persia to go back to Jerusalem. A two-month journey to get there. Wasn't like he crawled on an airplane or whatever the case or 
speedy camel or anything of that nature, a two-month journey just to get back. Now, that'd be discouraging for me. If God, in fact, said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back. I want you to set up housekeeping. I want you to be an individual that, that you take on this task. Well, God, I thought I'd taken off an, uh, on a, enough task. I thought being the cupbearer is enough. I put my life on the line every single day. Every time that lazy king gets something, I have to taste it. And you would think, I've got enough. I have enough on my plate already. And in reality, everything that had happened to that point, though he did not see it then, everything that had happened to him was, was setting him up for the big thing. I believe that we're better off if we always think, God, I see what reality is now, but I want you to know I'm looking for the big thing. Amen? This is never all there is with God. God never runs out of an ample opportunity to ramp you up, to give you more space, to give you greater things in your life to be able to do, to deepen the stakes, to lengthen the cords in your life. But if you become a resident of believing that just the here and now is all there is, then that will be all there is. But I'm looking for more. How about you? Every disciple, every apostle, every individual who were church builders, they were always looking for more exiled Jew there, the cupbearer, the leader among his peers. He became the designated person that God called one night out of tension because of a testimony that he got from his brother to rebuild the wall there in Jerusalem. And that wall, of course, had been down for 90 years. Not only that, other people have tried it. More qualified individuals in wall building tried it. But you know what, my friend? God can take a willing vessel, a willing heart, who goes beyond what they see now. An individual says, no, that's not all there is. There is more. And God can anoint that person and to do great and mighty things for the kingdom of God, things that we have never known of. I don't know how you're living, but I pray you're beginning to live with a, a touch of enthusiasm, a touch of anointing in your life, a touch that says, God, I'm believing not for what I have. Now, I want to thank you for that, but I'm believing we're going to go beyond anything that we could ever imagine. How must that take place? And here it is in the point, several points, we must have a burden. Nehemiah 1 verse 4, he said, when I heard these things, referring to what he heard about the wall down, I sat down and wept for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. The Lord placed this in my heart. This is a good question, and it's this. What's breaking your heart these days? What is it in your life that God is breaking you? What in your life is God saying your heart ought to be broken for this? What is it that burdens you, that one often singular thing, not a multiplicity necessarily, but they're a primary focus that God says, hey, the it is on you for this. What is it that's caused you to mourn? What is it that's caused you to awaken? What is it that it's caused you to say, God, it's not about me. It's about, wow, God, that, that has to be taken care of. Brokenhearted, felt compassion, and saw the potential locked in by discouragement. He could offer to God, I'm already doing enough. I'm already up to my eyeballs and, and being the cupbearer. And God still said, I'm going to touch you with a heart. It's amazing, the same story, the Salvation Army a number of years ago. 
And you and I, we were engaged in the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army, I heard the, uh, I heard the captain in the service out here in the lobby uh, near Christmas time, maybe two or three weeks before Christmas. He said, we're not, we don't have enough money for enough toys this year. There's going to be, he said, uh, about a thousand kids that will be short this Christmas because we just don't have. The revenue is down. You remember we were in the midst of a recession. And at that moment in the lobby right out there, how many of you know that sometimes you know when God pricks you and puts his hand on you and say, you do something about that. Amen? You. And at that moment, I, at that moment, God spoke to my heart and said, you do something about that. I want you to get with your people, with the people at Victory Church, and I want you to make an appeal because I'm going to move. Now, now when God told me that, I'm thinking, hey, God, I love the Salvation Army. We set up their little kettle thing. We put hundreds of people out there. We ring a ding the bell. We do all that stuff. But I got some projects at Victory I'd like to see done. Nah, Holy Spirit said, no, you take care of that. Everybody, anybody resonating with me? Sure. And maybe somebody you know that needs a new car. Maybe you think you need one, but you might consider, wow, let me see if I can help them get a different vehicle. And God puts the IT on you. Well, you know what happened. We were believing God for about twenty-five dollars or $30,000. Did you know that that offering came in from you over $100,000? And you know what I knew when that, come on, put your hands together and clap. There, pardon this little yard talk, there ain't no way that should have taken place except God knew what he wanted to do and he did it through all of us. Amen? Think about it. One hundred plus thousand dollars. I went to the giveaway where they were sacking them up. I saw a sea of bicycles. thought, good Lord, have mercy. I never had a brand new bicycle when I was a kid. So it was a real thriller to look out there. And see bicycles. But it was at that moment God said, it's you. So what burdens you? What breaks your heart? What is it? Anything? 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 There must be something always functioning in your spirit. Number two, we have to embrace a purpose. What is the purpose? Embrace a purpose near my 218. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me. And what the king had said to me. Nehemiah said, I'm, I'm ready to engage in the project. Number one, I got a word, but it wasn't a word necessarily from God. He did. God spoke to him. But he said, I knew when I went to the king that I had served, and he gave me unlimited favor. I know that didn't come from a political committee. I knew that God had touched that king that was not a follower of Almighty God Jehovah and said, hey, not only, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to give you all the stuff you need, all the lumber you need, and I'm going to send a contingent of people with you, and you're going to be cared for. He said, I knew right then, buddy, I'm on God's highway. Amen. God is beginning to work here, not to mention the burden that God had placed in his life. So when you have a burden and you embrace a purpose, you need to understand that God never desires for you to do it alone. He never desires to do it alone. He always desires to work in and through you. So they begin the good work. 
Nehemiah waited for some four months before approaching the king for permission. I mean, what do you do? You know the story. He went in. He was a little bashful. His visage was different. The king recognized something's wrong. How many of you know that you can tell when something's wrong with those people that you hang out with a little bit, you talk to, and you're with? How many know, raise your hand, you say, something wrong right there? How many of you men can recognize when the little woman has something wrong? Now I say little woman just to aggravate a few of you. <laughs> you know it. How many of you men know immediately what you need to do when you realize something's wrong? Most of us don't have a clue what's wrong. But if you just wait it out, you will eventually come to an understanding of what it is. The king said, something's wrong with you. What is it? Nehemiah must have said, wow, how awesome is this? in the quarters of the highest authority in this land and being exiled to serve here. And now he's giving a compassionate open door to me. But he waited for months before approaching him. We also know that he went, took two months to get there, and he views the damage at night. And he shares with the people the hope that is in his heart. The scripture very carefully says he saw more at night than the people who lived in Jerusalem saw during the day. What does that mean? He saw more at night than the people who lived there saw during the day. Is because God gave him supernatural vision to see what could be that was not dampened by discouragement, dampened by failed efforts, dampened by anything that had not worked before. He had a fresh vision and a fresh version of a vision and a fresh burden for what was going on there. And God allowed him to see things that other people could not see. And he said, let us rise up and let us build. Now you got to understand, one of the miracles here is no one around said, you are crazy. You don't understand. May we remind you of what we've been through. Number three, we must pre be prepared for opposition. How many know what that's like? Raise your hand. It's right, opposition. Yeah, friend, if you're, if, you're, if you're not facing opposition of some type, and you're not facing some kind of a challenge, you're not facing some kind of a threat, in your life, in your, in your family, in your finances, in whatever it is, you and the devil's going in the same direction. You need to know that the enemy is afraid of a blood-washed child of God who knows who they are in Jesus Christ and claim that they have been redeemed. I'm telling you, the enemy is afraid of that kind of a person by the grace of God. So Nehemiah 4, 1 and 2 Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall. He became angry and greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, notice what a wimp he was. What are those feeble Jews doing? 
Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? All negative statements to his little group around him. Tobiah was one that worked with him. There was another one, individual out of the three that were just uh, upset that was related to some of the Jews. He was the third person of that trio. And he would actually play two sides against the middle. He would go into his family reunions and his family gatherings with the Jew and say, hey, what's going on with the plans on the wall? Have you guys heard anything? Oh, man, it's so exciting. Nehemiah's coming and we're going to start the wall. And he'd take, well, how are you going to do that? Well, we're going to do it this way. Well, what material? Where are you going to get the material? Oh, he's, he's got the king where he's serving. They're, they're, they're sending material. They're helping. He'd go right to Sandballad and say, hey, here's what's going on over there. He was the spy. He wasn't Russian, but he was the spy. He said, here's what they're doing. Now, it's sad when you have to fight when you have to fight people in that way and goes and gives an upper hand with information. But listen carefully, when God is at the head, who's at the head? God. God. Who's at the head? God. God. Whose plan was it? God. Who initiated it? Who spoke to Nehemiah? Who gave the vision? Who stirred the king? God. And he would go and tell those secrets. Our enemy is Satan on every side. The enemy will always never be silent unless it's convenient for his plan. Critics will come and go. Discouraging people will come and go. Circumstances will multiply in a negative way. Is that you? If, if circumstances are multiplying in a negative way in your life right now, it's because God's got a big old plan you can't even see. But behave like God is still in control. Amen? Amen. Behave like he is. With that, people were taxed heavily. People before had become discouraged. People went on strike. People lost vision, strength, and confidence. And the big word is, it's been tried before. Concrete. As we would know it, sitting there in a heap in a pile that they had tried before, and in walks Nehemiah. Opportunities will come, but we can choose. We can choose to either lift up our hands or bow down to the circumstances. When Nehemiah presented his plan, the people, without reservation, sensed the vision of God. If you're walking through a valley, if you have needs that are out there haunting you, if you have mountains you cannot climb, don't, don't do it in the privacy of your own prayer life 
Begin to tell people that you know, love, and trust. Help me climb this mountain by the grace of God. Because the Bible says that when two or three are gathered, the Bible says when more than two and three are multiplied, then great and mighty things happen. That's just the way that it is. We must remain determined and committed. That is found in Nehemiah 6, verse number 3. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Now, one of the things we may overlook is that we know they built the wall in what, 53 days, but they stopped. That was not consecutive days. That's the days that they worked because they did stop to have church. Amen? They did not do their worship. They did not during the building of the wall. So we were, well, the donkey's in the ditch. We just got to get, oh no. They stopped to worship when it was time to worship and give God praise. And then they went back to work. Why, why am I bringing that to your attention? Because the powerhouse of what you do is not your ingenuity, not your skill set, not your money. The powerhouse is found in your relationship and intimacy with Jesus Christ. For he will give you strength when you feel like giving up. He will give you inspiration when you feel drained. He will give you wisdom when you feel like you don't have the answers anymore. He will step in and take a broken heart and mend it back together and breathe life back into you. So that time of worship, that time of giving it back to God has to take place. We must remain determined and committed. He said, I am not coming down. You know, the devil works through people. Did you know that? I've never had a ghost that gave me a problem. <laughs> I've never had something that, uh, I've had situations give me a problem. I had people and friends and enemies alike. Sometimes you can't tell your friends from your enemies. You ever been there? Hello? You kind of learn to walk sideways. So there's nobody ever at your back. Okay? So they had that touch of God. Satan will aggravate, but he cannot defeat without, here now, without permission. So, so take that to heart. He cannot, he can aggravate, but he cannot defeat without permission. I quit. I give up. I'm stomping off. Nehemiah all the political things that he needed to follow the social law of that day. The legal law was to go down. This is an official. His name is Sanballat. Let me go down and entertain him and tell him. He already, Sanballat already knew what they were doing because of the spy. But Sanballat, Sanballat did not understand the power of a committed person with a broken heart that had a word from God, he didn't know what that power meant, who worshiped God when it was time to worship God. And, and so it is Nehemiah said, we are not coming down. We weren't called to participate in a committee. We weren't called to get involved in a political process with you, Sanballat. 
I came here under the anointing, with a vision, with a heart committed to God to rebuild a wall that you said would never be built. So we're not coming. Sanballat's just like the devil. Have you noticed the devil is hard-headed? How many of you know what he looks like? He's hard-headed. He didn't give up five times. He just kept coming. He just kept kneeling, kept working. After a while, you think, boy, it's things falling apart. Go get some duct tape. Go get some bailing wire. Nehemiah never bothered with it. He said, we are not coming down. Five times, Nehemiah replied each time, I'm doing a great work. I cannot. Notice the verbiage. It's there for a reason. Not I will not, but I cannot. Two different phrases there. If you study very carefully in the Greek, I will not means that it was within, within Nehemiah's power to come down. But Nehemiah said, I'm under the anointing. I cannot come down. My feet belong up here on this wall. My body belongs up here on this wall. My life belongs up here on this wall. I cannot come down. The Holy Ghost will not let me come down. Jehovah will not let me come down. I didn't come to bow down to you to talk to you. It's not that I will not. I cannot come down. Why? Because there is an anointing in my life to complete this task. And my friend, don't you ever forget, wherever you're at and whatever journey that you are in, in that journey there is an anointing in your life that God said stay under the anointing and do not bow down. Keep moving forward as God permits you to do and do not look back. Do not give up. Don't let anything get in your way. Trust me and watch what I will do. Come on now. I cannot come down. Nehemiah had a burden that would not let him go. He had a purpose that he would not give up. And he also had a persistence to face the opposition with God's favor. Nehemiah turned to Sanballat and his cohorts over to God. He belongs to you, God. You want to go down and mess with him. I met with a group of leading pastors from around the state of Florida yesterday morning in Orlando. And one of the pastors had firsthand testimony of an individual, individual whose name is uh, Sammy Rodriguez. I've known Sammy for a long time. He uh, is a great leader in the Spanish community and has received favor. Uh, I don't totally agree sometimes with all of his theology, but we, we believe in enough. But he is an individual that does not give up and very committed to the cause of Jesus Christ and very committed to the full gospel with the power of the Holy Spirit moving. But he was to be with my friend on Pentecost Sunday. Sammy was supposed to be there. My friend is a large church. And Sammy called him about a month before he was supposed to be there on Pentecost Sunday. And he called this pastor by name. And the pastor told me this testimony yesterday. He said, I cannot be there on Pentecost Sunday. He said, well, I've had you booked for months and months and months because you have to book, you have to book Sammy 
probably a year or more in advance if, if he comes then. He said, well, let me tell you why I need permission from you to not be there. My office received a call from the Vatican from the Pope and asked me to bring to the Vatican 15 major Pentecostal charismatic leaders to meet with him for one half day and talk to him about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, talk to him about the Holy Ghost. Because that's where Sammy's at. Sammy said, Pastor, will you give me permission to go? Sammy's spirit was not one. I made a commitment to you, and I will fulfill it and forsake this call. But please give me permission. And my friend said, by all means. I told my friend, you made a big mistake. Why? I said, I need to coach you more. He said, why? I said, what you should have said to Sammy. Sammy, I'll be delighted to give you a pass if I'm one of the 15 going with you to see the Pope. (laughs) At any rate, they went. Sammy called him before he ever got out of Rome. He called my friend and he said, you will never believe it. I'm telling you a demonstration of the Holy Spirit that fell in Acts 2 could have not been any stronger when it fell upon the Pope and fell upon us in that room. A new dispensation of God's Holy Spirit. And it impacted that Pope because he said, I felt I needed more and I needed to talk to someone that's known for that gift. I'm here to tell you, friend, you might think that the devil's in control and you might see the House and the Senate and you might see the parties fight and you might see the challenges and you might see what goes down here and goes down there. But I'm telling you, hallelujah, right straight from heaven, God is on his throne and he is about to explode by the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What am I trying to tell you? Do you know what the devil wants us to do? To get down and do the dirty, nasty things with those that are the naysayers, to entertain the powers of darkness and to become become weak as it relates to that. When God has given us a divine anointing and the Holy Spirit, he's saying, wake up. What's breaking your heart? What are you burdened for? What vision do you have? What hope do you have? And you say, but right now I'm going through it. You can't go through it hardly anymore to stand up there and some 50 plus thousand people that are helping you build a wall and you got the main leader down there barking at you all the time trying to bring you down but you when you don't have the decision to be able to make and you say if I wanted to go down there sand ballad I couldn't go because I'm fixed up here by the power of a hand that is a powerful hand I can't go down if I want to I am here by the glory and the honor of God come on put your hands together and let's thank God So behave like we're building the wall and stand on God's word. Finally, we must prepare to give God the glory. 
I think you just do that and sign up and say, let's get on with it. Nehemiah 7:1, after the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place. What a day that must have been. Putting the door in place didn't matter if the wall is up and how wonderful it is. It looks like a good looking wall. You know, a wall that looked better than the fixer upper people could build. But when he put the gates in place, it said, now, we just stopped an enemy force from having free will to come into Jerusalem. The gates are now in place. Hallelujah. Can I tell you something? The devil put the gates up when Adam and Eve fell, and the devil put the gates up all through the Old Testament. Hallelujah. But when Jesus was born and Jesus died and Jesus went to the grave, he came out and said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Hallelujah. Satan will not, will not have a gate that you cannot go through. And God said, there is a new gatekeeper in town and it is the Holy Spirit of God that honors those who honor the power of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want to get the worship team on up here. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Nehemiah 8, 5. Ezra opened the book. Hallelujah. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. Hallelujah. And as he opened, the people stood up. You say, how come we stand up when we praise? Well, there's a pretty good example. They stood up. Now we say, and they stood up if they can. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, so be it, amen, so be it. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The miracle began because one man felt a burden, heard the voice of God, and chose to walk under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And God said, I want you to know I'm going to take advantage of that. Look what the Lord has done. Amen. May I suggest to you that those kind of stories are not over. Hallelujah. God is looking for some new stories in the culture and in the church today and say, somebody give me a contemporary story that says, look what the Lord has done. And I tell you, when Sammy went to the Vatican, God was saying, I have a story now that I'm going to tell. If you don't have a story, get a hold of God and say, God, great and mighty things are you going to do. Amen. If you can, stand to your feet and let's give God a unified applause tonight. We thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 52 days to build the wall. 49,633 people Praise the Lord, thanked him, loved him. Can we just right now slip our hands and can you express a love for God and just tell him right now what he means to you? Would you find out what breaks your heart and say, God, I'm after that in Jesus' name? Thank you, Lord. Now let's worship him, shall we? Sing with us together. Let's see. If you need healing, if you need to get in this altar, if you're carrying a burden and you need help with it, I'm telling you this is the all the altar call we're going to give. If you need a touch from God, you come on down here. If you need a prayer answered, you come on down here. If you need something fresh out of the heart of God, you come on down here. And we're going to believe God together. Otherwise, we're just going to worship. Amen. 
Sing it with us if you don't mind, everybody. In holy, in holy, you're the Son of God. You are awesome in God. Come and feel this place. You are awesome and God of power. You're the Lord of glory. Come and feel this place. say pray for me you got a need tell God about it amen the Holy Spirit is here father in your name by your spirit speak to our hearts we declare there's victory in the house divine anointing in the name of Jesus hallelujah hallelujah just praise him friend hallelujah just praise him worship him hallelujah thank you Jesus thank you Lord Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on now.
Heavenly Father, we delivered our heart, the message you gave to us. I pray that it'll burn in our lives and in our hearts. I pray that we feel inspired. I pray that we feel bold. I pray that we're aggressive in the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, as we bind every lie of the enemy, as we bind every mouth, every voice, every idea that the enemy throws at us, I pray for every discouraged moment. I pray for reality which spells failure, that that reality will turn to victory in the name of Jesus. I pray because it is not by might nor by power, but by the precious Holy Spirit. We claim now victory. We claim the ideology of the anointing of God to be more than an idea, but to be a reality in all of our lives. God, let us run the race with patience and let us believe there's healing in the house. Let us believe there's money in the house. Let us believe there's favor in the house. Let us believe there's healed relationships in the house. Let us believe, oh God, that there is victory, hallelujah, knocking at the door even as we speak, hallelujah. Let it come to pass for some right now in the next 24 to 48 hours. Let them take a look and say in 24 to 48 hours, God, something wonderful is going to take place in my life, in my business. Oh God, I'm claiming it in Jesus name it belongs to me because of you and I thank you for it in Jesus name everybody said amen we're gonna worship another five minutes or so you're welcome to slip out you're welcome to sit down welcome to hit the altar you are just welcome to flow in the spirit amen let's worship continually God bless you everybody